Support for Lillo Podcasts comes from listeners like you, who are masking up, maintaining social distance, and taking care of one another. DC for you. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, of course not. It's the DC4U podcast. I am Todd Weber, once again here with Russell Sellers. Russell, how are you? I am the man to your super, Todd. Excellent. And we are here again to look at the immediate post-crisis era of DC Comics in the mid-1980s. That is, comics like the Reconstruction after the Crisis on Infinite Earths. And we call this, of course, post-crisis management? Intervention. Intervention. There I go, forgetting to look at my show notes. Of course, <laughs> Russell did a previous series of, uh, it was, was it Crisis crisis management of yeah. all the various crises over the different years of dc was that what it's called that was correct that was the uh the precursor to dc4u's existence over on a uh, another network that i don't think we got to mention the name of it no here. no but if you, if you look for it though we could you know just look up russell sellers and crisis and uh it's out there <clears throat> i guessed it on a couple of those myself but here we are on lillo owned by us for us which is why we call it lillo and we are talking Superman, The Man of Steel, the reboot from 1986, immediately after the crisis on Infinite Earths, spearheaded by one John Byrne. Uh, John Byrne was a legendary, or how about a very prolific creator from Marvel, primarily. He did some books for you know uh, companies like Charlton and DC. He did The Untold Legend of the Batman. But he primarily made his bones as an artist to start with the Uncanny X-Men alongside Chris Claremont did books um, as far as being a writer-artist combination on Alpha Flight and the Fantastic Four and very in a very high-profile manner made his way over to D.C. in 1986 to spearhead a revitalization of the concept of Superman. So we should look at Superman pre-crisis and post-crisis and maybe uh, contrast them. So what, what do you think were some of the problems that D.C. had with Superman going into the crisis on Infinite Earths? Uh, boy, they had uh, a lot of issues uh, stemming largely from just all sorts of uh, changes to Superman's uh, abilities and stories as time had gone on because uh, from the golden age of Superman's first appearance in 1938 to uh, to the silver and bronze age of the, you know, like the, uh, the 50s and 60s and through the, uh, the uh, majority of the 70s, uh, it kind of felt like writers had just kind of 
run out of things to really do with the guy other than to make him more and more powerful, which was the, the default setting for the character for a long time. And it's a largely why so many people consider him to be quote unquote boring today, because that's the version of the character that they probably know best. Uh, he was, his stories were overly cheesy, uh, especially in the, uh, the sixties and seventies, uh, with the exception of course of, uh, stuff in the well early 80s when Alan Moore was doing uh, uh, some of these things. But, I mean, there were still good stories being told, but you still ran into this problem of here's a character who is so powerful that he can literally move whole solar systems <laughs> from one part of a galaxy to another by chaining planets together. I, I'm not exaggerating. That's an actual panel. No. That's yeah. a panel. That's a real thing in, in Superman stories. So, they had kind of run up against uh, a point of what do we do with this character? How do we revitalize him to make him relatable to people again? And here comes John Byrne, who's like, well, you guys know that you you made a series of movies that kind of brought him back down to earth a little bit, right? Uh, Christopher Reeve, Richard Donner, Richard Luster, those guys over there, yeah, the stuff that mm-hmm. they did. Uh it's pretty clear that uh, that John Byrne took some big influence from that, uh, combined with, of course, some of his own ideas about how to how to make Superman work in a more modern context, and applied it to the page. And, it, and lo and behold, what do you know? To this day, I think we can refer to John Byrne's Superman as still the modern incarnation of the yes. character. Yeah, uh, definitely begins the. The modern version of Superman um, still has threads to this very day, if you want to think about it, um, with this Superman kind of existing even through through the new 52, in a way, when they brought him back. So, yeah, the, the concepts and the ways they've, they've changed Superman, making him more relatable, making him, depowering him perhaps a little bit, but also making him more unique. You know, there were a lot of different... Kryptonians running around. You had the you had Supergirl, of course. You had Phantom Zone criminals who who show up later in the run. Don't get me wrong, but wanted to core or pare down back to the core basics of Superman. So they come out with this six issue miniseries, and I am old, so I remember this being on the shelves in 1988 when I saw it. I'm sorry, 1986 when I saw it. You know, the fall fall of the year that Crisis wrapped up, and then you had the Alan Moore stories that brought the Superman title and action comics uh, in their current incarnations to an end. And then they kind of rebooted them later to keep the numbering, keep the legacy going. But this this is everything from the ground up. Now they don't really mention any other superheroes in this, even though it's being presented as it's happening. I guess the story takes a place about over the course of 10 years of Superman's life. 18 to 28, you do get the flashbacks to him being the prologue of him being um, conceived and sent in a rocket ship. And that's a change in itself in its own. Uh, but for, for the most part, it's a decade in the life of the adult Superman, how he kind of reveals himself to the world and the cho- choices that are made and how he learns about his heritage and his burgeoning relationships with say uh, Batman, Lois Lane and Lex Luthor. And, Burns goes through and does a whole lot with just creating a Bible for Superman. You know, he, Superman's 
internal monologue is really, really wordy. So much exposition going on in his thought panels and speech panels. The comics have come a, a long way as far as the show don't tell. There's This is a very wordy comic, wouldn't you say? I would agree with that. Uh, Byrne really had a lot of ground to cover, and he had six issues to do it because the... Uh, what was about to happen was Superman was getting relaunched with a brand new number one issue that was going to start, uh, I guess, technically the second volume of, of yes. Superman. Yep. Uh, first time that series had been relaunched since it debuted. Uh, Action Comics would continue under its original numbering. Uh, but the idea was, okay, we got to give Superman a brand new origin and we have to catch this character up on like, Ten, like you said, ten years of history, uh, at least from the time Clark's eighteen to where he's twenty-eight mm-hmm. years old, and he, we've got to get Superman in the modern DC uh, context. Now, uh, when we did our Wonder Woman episode, uh, George Perez and company kind of had to do the same thing with her. They had mm-hmm. to like they didn't do it in a miniseries so much. They just relaunched her title and it, and it gradually caught itself up to modern DC. Superman was like, no, we're going to do a six issue mini cover his origins, uh, lay the template. And as you said, it's, it's a perfect Superman Bible for any, uh, any writer who would follow burn, uh, in that era. And in fact, in the modern era, I think you could still use it as that, but, uh, of the, there were so many big changes that Byrne made, but one of the probably the most important one, or at least the one that I think uh, was meant to reframe Superman, was that they really went after that whole last son of Krypton part. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were no other Kryptonians, at least for a while, who were revealed to have survived uh, the explosion of Krypton. Like the uh, we didn't know anything about Zod or any of the the criminal Kryptonians. There was no Supergirl. Uh, uh, Kara Zor-El, as far as John Byrne was concerned, died in the explosion of Krypton. There was no Krypto. Uh, and on top of that, uh, Superman's... Kandor. What is it? The yeah, Bottle City of Kandor yeah, wasn't around yet. Yeah, uh, I think that... There were other stories that would come out later in a miniseries called uh, Worlds of Krypton or World of Krypton uh, Mm -hmm. that I believe would cover some of that and uh, introduce some other concepts. But in this opening salvo from Byrne, you get a pretty definite, like you get a bit more of the Kryptonian culture, which was kind of nice. It was a, uh, it was a very sterile society, honestly, but uh, it was intentionally so. Yeah. Very (laughs) intentionally. So to show them that they were almost devoid of emotion, they were very robotic in a lot of ways, but there was still some, that little bit of emotion in, uh, in the L in the house of L with Jor-El and Laura having, you know, the wherewithal to send their son away, knowing their planet was doomed. And that's that. That was probably like one of the the, the most important changes that I saw uh, coming into the series. And I've read this series multiple times, so I, I understand what uh, what Byrne was doing there. But what I most appreciated was that once we get out of Krypton, once we get past that, we just get to Earth. We kind of leave that behind. We, we really do for another five issues, almost. Yeah, it was like he doesn't really get into the whole alien side of Clark. Like Clark discovers that uh, on his own, but it never really comes to define him. 
uh, what defines Clark is his time on Earth with the Kents. And you see more of them in him than you ever see of the, the Kryptonian side. That doesn't really come into play. You see Clark learning how to be a hero and learning how to just be a person via the Kents. And they continue to play a big role in the book going forward, which was another change from the Bronze and Silver Age where the Kents were both dead. Right. So, yeah, that was a big change. Um Especially, in my opinion, having Jonathan around as kind of the, his moral compass is, is really huge. And, of course, Martha, too. But uh, you can't, can't forget DC moms are named Martha. But <laughs> Why Jonathan, did you say that name? <laughs> I appreciated so much the character of John Kent in this. And uh, you see his influence on, on Clark from the very get-go where he says, you know what? You're using your powers for the wrong reasons, kid. And that's a big change we never saw in the comics. We saw... Teenage Clark Kent uh, exploiting his powers to be a superhero, or a, I'm sorry, a football star. When yep. he knew he could fly, he knew he had strong, he was stronger and more durable. And uh, he just said, well, okay, I'm going to use this and, and play football. And uh, John kind of says, no, son, you've got more stuff to do. Now, in the old days, we had Superboy, although there wasn't always Superboy. You know, they, they retconned yes. that concept in the 50s, and here they take it away again. There is no Superboy. There's only Superman. That's another change. It removes uh, the Legion of Superheroes tie as well. Uh, yes. By doing away with uh, Clark having superpowers as a boy, like you said, there is no Superboy era ever. There is no Legion of Superheroes tie. Uh, Clark doesn't even develop powers until later. Uh, he's, right. He's a fairly normal kid, uh, as normal as one who's birthed from a weird pod from space uh, can be. Anyway, well, uh, and that you was, know he, he he's a little stronger than normal as a kid, but he you know he can he's more durable. Yeah, he, he he's survives being run over by a bull or whatever, and he can lift a truck. Um, but he's not really thinking about it until the one day he can fly. You know what my favorite part of that story is. Uh, when the Kents find him, uh, I, I, they try to kind of give us a time frame of when did Clark land on Earth? And if the modern day DC is 1986, uh, then Clark probably would have landed on Earth about uh, 28 years prior to that, correct? So, like, yeah, close yeah to, 68. Yeah, uh -huh. so it would have been about uh, late 60s, uh, mid late 60s, somewhere in there. Let's say that. Space uh, race time. Yeah, like it, right around the time of the Cold War, because they thought it was a Russian satellite. They thought, oh my mm -hmm. God, it could have been mm -hmm. like, uh, something that the Ruskies put up in uh, in space. But no, uh, right after the Kents find him and take him back to uh, their farm, a huge snowstorm hits, and they are snowed in for like four months, uh, four or five months. Uh, they couldn't leave their farm. Uh, nobody saw them, so they were able to completely play off the idea that maybe Martha was pregnant whenever they got snowed in and uh, just didn't tell anybody about it. So, and she's in her 40s here. Yeah. But, you know. That, that's another thing that's great about the Kents, isn't it? We talked about this on Marvel 8 sometimes, about one of our favorite parts of Aunt May being always yeah. so close to death. That's how I prefer the Kents to be as well. It's like I yeah. prefer them to be perpetually close to the end, but never quite getting there. <laughs> yeah, I... I mean, if I was writing Superman in the 90s or so, I'd I'd create some kind of reason that somebody went back in time and, and had that snowstorm, you know, it, it just because just it's so convenient. It's so, uh, 
it gives them the perfect cover to pull off that, oh, no, of course we had our baby. And at least Byrne thought it out, you know. He's, yeah. he's, he's thought about things that people could poke holes in the story with, and he he's answered those questions for us, it seems. Yeah, and that, that plays into what you were talking about earlier with how verbose the comic really is. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's, it's Byrne is trying to get in as much as he can, and he's like, God, how much real estate do I have? And it's it's as much as he really wants because he's writing and drawing this comic. And uh, I'll say this, uh, we haven't really touched on the art at all, but my God, this is a beautiful book. Uh, oh, fantastic. Yeah, it, absolutely. Uh, I I love Burns' design. I think that he didn't try to reinvent the wheel. That's something that we see a lot of today. If you were trying to reboot a major character like this, somebody would have come along and said, huh, maybe we should like completely retool and redesign the character from the top down. And Byrne was like, nah, I don't think you really want to mess with that. I think I just want to change how his character functions as you know, as a storytelling device rather than change everything about how he looks because that's not really the problem, uh, which is something that uh, quite a few comic creators could learn something from today. So with all that, we move forward uh, into Clark's story, and uh, that bit on the, the football field with him really reminded me of, uh, of that scene in the, at the end of the first Incredibles movie whenever Dash is, uh, mm. has joined the track team and is about to run in first place, and his parents are, his whole family is like, no, slow down. Right. <laughs> He's like, what do I do? They're like, second. He's like, oh, I got you. Like, that, <laughs> that's the talk I imagine Jonathan Kent having with Clark whenever he goes out for the football team. He's like, be good, but don't like run out there and be a one-man team. But then again, Clark didn't really listen all that well. No. So lots going on here. We did see, you know, Jonathan reveals to Clark that he came from this ship. The, they, they don't say a spaceship because nobody knows. Jarrell hasn't revealed himself to anybody yet or the, the ghost of Jarrell, you know, the programming. But there is this, I will, I will say, an Easter egg or cliffhanger. of Somebody sees them. Somebody, two things. Somebody sees them um, as they're driving away and has staked this out. So somebody knows, and that's a story that gets played out, and I don't exactly remember how it all happened down the road, but that's that's a, a gift left for a later storyline. And then uh, much later when Clark goes to revisit, the it, it's gone. The ship is totally gone. Somebody has stolen it. So those things are set up for down the road. Again, he's not just establishing a Bible of characters. He's establishing some plots for down the road, too. Yeah, Byrne was a master at setting up his story. He knew that, of course, this was going to be... I mean, Byrne is that guy. He has that reputation of being a little high on his own work, and uh, but he knows how good he is. And at that point, I don't know if he'd ever been higher. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think it's really he was he was um, right at the top of the profession yeah, as I mean, far as maybe Frank Miller or somebody else from that time. But even Frank Miller was was going on with Dark Knight right about when this came out, eighty six. Yeah. Can you imagine having Dark Knight, Man of Steel, and Watchmen all coming out at the same same time at comic shops from DC? Yeah, and, holy uh, cow! And you know, Crisis having just ended. I mean, just D finished. Yeah. Like DC was on a real tear at this point, and it was like they could do no wrong because you know they followed this up with uh, with the George Perez Wonder Woman, which is iconic. 
Uh, so well, and, and Teen Titans was still yep. a huge seller for them, and Legion was as popular as it ever was. Not not that it was as big as say something like X Men or Avengers, even. But sure. Legion was another top top DC book. DC was really big in the eighties. Uh, absolutely, especially this period, the late eighties, like mid late eighties. Yeah. Uh, it was it was all it was firing on all cylinders for the most part, and. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about more of that uh, as this series continues, uh, but continuing on with some of the the changes that Byrne was uh, was making here, we got to talk about one of the other major characters that he did a probably the most massive overhaul of in all of Superman's uh, character gallery, and that is Lex Luthor. Um, yeah, no uh, longer a mad scientist who no, was mad at. Superboy for making him bald. <laughs> now the that was another thing that makes Burns run so iconically classic is he really understands the idea that a hero is only as good as his villains, and boy does he create a great version of Lex Luthor. This is the I think my personal opinion ideal version of Lex Luthor. Uh, yeah, I think so too. Although you know we all have an affection for the Clancy Brown Lex on Justice League. And I Absolutely. don't I don't necessarily draw a line between them. This is a very eighties Lex Luthor for the time and they they maybe move away from him. He's still very super smart, but he's not the lab geek. He's more of the tycoon. He's using what he can do, his power for well, his his brains and his cur what, what I, I, his moxie. I, I you know, he's a guy uh, that just has yeah, he is. <laughs> exactly. Like he is he's loaded. I mean, this dude is like super rich, but he's also he is incredibly intelligent. He's just he's more preoccupied with the money making side of it and being uh, basically worshipped by the people of Metropolis. That's what he really wants. So whenever I look at this version of Lex, I, I feel like John Byrne said, you know what? What if I cre what if I took Lex Luthor and I made him like Kingpin? But I made him as smart as the kingpin is strong. Hmm. And that's, I think that was the idea. He also made Lex into a, a kind of a fat man, which I also appreciated. I thought that was, a, <laughs> I thought that was, a, I thought that was a nice touch. Well, I, and I like the balding bit too, you know, yeah. kind of full head of red hair that kind of just keeps receding and, and we just see him fading, which, you know, makes him resent Superman, this peak guy who's going to, stay looking 28 years old for forever basically you know he he gets to see and resent this thing this guy who's all the things that lex isn't and i the love king intent. and he does exactly the thing that you would expect lex to do he tries to uh finagle a way for superman to wind up working for him because that's how he understands the world he understands that if he can manipulate people and move them around like chess pieces on a board eventually everybody winds up working for him but when superman doesn't take the bait he gets just so he's so pissed off he can't think straight and that's what really gets under uh lex's skin is that here's a guy who is essentially incorruptible he's somebody that he can't just manipulate and that just doesn't play in lex's head that's not how he understands the world to work and it's like he should be able to buy everybody how come he can't buy this guy and that's another reason i think this story works so well is because 
it brings us to the incorruptibility of Superman at his core, that even though he's been a little bit more brash, he has been a little more, shall we say, human than he's ever been at any time in his history, except for maybe in the Golden Age, uh, he's still that classic character. He's going to do the right thing because that's how his parents brought him up. And with them still being alive, being able to to be that conscience sitting on his shoulder, uh, I think it, it keeps this story grounded and it uh, it gives the reader kind of a, uh, a tether to all of the ideas that Byrne was trying to get across. Uh, and I think that for the time, even though some of this may not hold up quite as well, uh, see the boat scene of... Uh, various racial caricatures <laughs> uh, that uh, that actually led to the, conf- the uh, confrontation of Lex Luthor trying to buy off Superman. But that that aside, this, this was a compassionate character who honestly was in a pretty progressive story for the time. Yeah, I agree. And it's just, some some of it is very very way bitch in eighties, and you can't get away from that. And that's fine. <laughs> it's of its time. You, you can't. We can't deny that. That yeah. it, it feels like an eighties comic. You know that that's what you're reading whenever you dive in. But that's also part of the charm. Uh, and you know some of the like just little things here and there that make it even more charming to me is that we get to see Clark kind of being human and making mistake like making some obvious mistakes mm-hmm. that he doesn't think about until later and then it's like that wordy inner monologue where he's like oh god I screwed up uh, like uh one of my favorite scenes in the book is uh he and Lois are supposed to go to that that boat ride I just mentioned, uh, Lex's party boat, as it were. And Lois stops by his uh, his apartment to to get him. She's a little early, and uh, Clark is still trying to get ready. He hasn't shaved yet, so he goes into the bathroom and is like, "Okay, I'll, I got to shave. I'll be right out." And he turns on an electric razor and just sets it down because what's that gonna do? Right. And he uses like a, a piece of his uh, the ship that brought him as a kind of mirror. And heat visions uh, the hair off of his face, which was a that was such a neat idea. <laughs> I mean, and it, it felt, you know, it, that gives us a lot of Clark Kent. The way we don't get to see a whole lot of Clark in here, but we get to see Clark with Lois and kind of explaining his way. Another change they changed Clark Kent. And we'll talk about that too. But I could easily visualize Christopher Reeve doing that. You know, that personality of of just just. Being okay, I've got to, I've got to go through the motions to throw Lois the, off the scent here. The uh, um, the dumbbells were another one that was funny. Yeah, um, Clark Kent. Oh, I've got to explain why I have a physique because yeah. well, John Byrne draws a very bulky Superman. That, that was, I think, this was also the birth of that era. Like when it really was uh, before, like that was maybe the most physical change that Byrne made to Superman was he made him a like a bodybuilder basically and. Whenever you see Superman prior to that, or if you think of Christopher Reeve Superman, he's not, he wasn't like super jacked uh, when he was in that role. He was in shape. Yeah. Uh, like he was uh, very toned and athletic. Broad shoulders and, you know, he, he pulls it off. But you look at Superman, he's cut the burn Superman. Now, Neil Adams would draw, draw him that way somewhat. 
and uh, George Perez too. But things like the bigger cape, the, the cape is is exaggerated a little bit. It drapes the shoulders. It, it enhances the way his V looks in his in his chest, and and yeah. then the actual logo has been. Uh, I want to say, pro- not prioritized, but emphasized. The logo seems wider, bigger. Uh, I used to read the, the editorials that Byrne would do. He would talk about how he knows how to draw it. He would always draw them as fish. Um, he, would, he would draw the, the negative space of the, the fish, and that's how he would create the, the S. I don't know if you can see the, the logo that they're using for the actual covers right this big yeah. s logo with man of steel well burn would draw these fish and and make his s around it freehand which is really cool um i really like that that s has been iconic for so many years and yet they did this just this little change and it it gives it just a little bit more heroism a little bit more dynamicism there's a good word all yeah. right uh, i agree i, I really love the design of the S shield in this. I feel like this is the best it's ever looked. Uh, it should, this should just be it. Like John Byrne mm-hmm. designed the definitive iconic S shield look stick with this. This yeah, there, there's no need to change it any further. Alex Ross does this too. I mean, I, I think not, not the kingdom come Superman, but when Alex Ross draws classic JLA Superman, it looks like this. And that's, and that's how it should be. Uh, I think Jim Lee also recreates this S shield uh, mm-hmm. very well, uh, and his Superman is uh, right up there with right next to John Burns. I would say that is John Burns and Jim Lee for me as far as like who who draws the best looking Superman. Uh, but I mean, there there are plenty of artists out there who've done such great jobs, and of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the uh, the indelible Kurt Swan, uh, who right. uh, who it was. was the- Definitive Superman artist for twenty years. Yeah, before Byrne came along, I would say that 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 Kurt Swan is it. Shoot, uh, thirty years. Yeah, yeah, for thirty years, like he's he's the guy. But then Byrne comes along, and uh, I mean, it's just one of those times. It's one of those inflection points for comics, and that's what I feel like Man of Steel is. Is uh, it's this inflection point for this character? Uh, because as we we mentioned at the top of the podcast that. Uh, Superman was so strong back in the in the time just prior to this that he was moving whole planets around, uh, and now you get this version of Superman who is very much depowered from that, and he gets his ass kicked quite a bit. Uh, there's a uh, a bit near the end of this series where he takes on Bizarro 1.0, as I come to think of him. Uh, a, an imperfect clone of Superman made uh, by Lex Luthor in a lab, made by Lex Luthor and one of his uh, his Chinese scientists in a lab, uh, and it it doesn't go well because this uh, this imperfect clone begins to deteriorate almost immediately uh, and has only sparse memories of of Clark's. He doesn't really speak so much, so you don't get any of the backwards talk uh, that right. that Bizarro does that you might be used to. Uh, he just has a very outwardly violent response to uh, to Superman, to Clark Kent, uh, even though he's he's going through the motions of almost trying to be his life, but it's kind of like that uh, Frankenstein's monster version. That's, of, that's of the vibe I got, too. It's, yeah. it's Frankenstein Superman. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is, and in their fight with each other, even though it's 
I don't know how to even explain how Lex Luthor would have managed to create a clone even this close to Superman without having any DNA to work with. It was just my machine scanned him and we we <laughs> built this. I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah. No, no genetic material needed. Just uh, just did this. Yeah. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Let's just hand wave this way and talk about something else. Yep. Oh, uh, I speak perfect Mandarin. Yes. Yeah, yes, that's the other part of it. Is like, okay, Lex has spent some time in China and speaks fluent Mandarin Chinese. Okay. Uh, and why not? Why not? He's He is brilliant, though. I mean, he is a, a super genius, and they established that uh, pretty early on. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's, he's raised his, uh, his prices, too. Remember, he was trying to... Hire Superman for twenty five thousand dollars, and apparently he poured a hundred million into this cloning project. So. Yeah, exactly. It's like, man, <laughs> man, the how is Lex still this rich? <laughs> He's not good at after man. jail. You know, he was arrested. Yeah, Superman humiliated him in front of all his peers. Yeah, because um, as it as it turns out, he set up that whole uh, like on that boat party. It gets busted up by a bunch of uh, Colombian drug lord terrorists. That apparently Lex Luthor set the whole thing up. So he could get Superman to work for him. Exactly. You know. Yeah. In that Lex, or I'm sorry, Bizarro issue, it also starts with kind of an homage to the Lex battle armor that we had just had introduced for, I guess, the super superpowers and crisis era. And it was beautiful, you know, drawn by George Perez, designed by Perez, but along with the Brainiac revamp that he did around the same time, 83, 84. And of course, we're changing Lex now, so he's not going to be using this. He's not going to be fighting any. He wants no part of battles at this point, or at least this version of Lex. So we just kind of say that this is a super suit that he's using um, his, his employees to commit crimes or, or try to attack Superman in. And just just a little continuity, you know. Yeah, uh, it was it was cool to see that. I I love the Lexo suit. I think that it's mm-hmm. uh, one of the neatest things that he did and. Uh, if I'm going to be honest about my favorite like iterations of Lex Luthor and other media, I actually really liked how they combined uh, the this version of Lex with the like skinnier, uh, mad scientist version of Lex for uh, the Supergirl TV show. I thought John Cryer uh, did a really great job with that, and I kind of like how they used the Lexo suit in that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's yeah, it was neat to see it for real, you know. Yeah, like they they basically said he's evil Iron Man, you know. That's which was a, a neat thing for them to do. And uh, the the suit does get a nice little uh, cameo appearance here, but it was uh, an automated drone that Superman fights and apparently defeats off panel because we see him uh, just bringing that suit back to Lex and saying, "Hey, look, I found your toy." Uh, stop sending your stuff after me all the time. It's really, really getting annoying now. Um, and that was um, for some comics convoluted reason. Right. Uh, how he <laughs> how he got uh, enough uh, of a scan, I'm air quoting that, of Superman to, uh, to make an imperfect clone. Because <laughs> uh, he was like, hey, if I can't make Superman work for me, I'll just make my own Superman. Like, which right. which ain't a bad idea. It's a good idea for a a story going forward. Uh, and I'm not I'm not sure if Byrne followed that up. I need to go back and uh, reread his uh, his Superman run to find out if he actually did or not. But it was well, and it's they, a good they idea. tried 
tried things with Bizarro for years just because Bizarro is an iconic thing. I mean, Seinfeld talks about Bizarro, right? Yeah. So trying to update him, but without all the baggage of the blue kryptonite and the, the square planet, cube shaped <laughs> planet and all and talking backwards and um, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the uh, I'm trying to just meaning the opposite of what he says. <laughs> Goodbye, the, uh, Superman. With the funny, you know, Bizarro's draw, written for laughs for for so much, and and we're trying to give him give Superman these Superman level threats, and so we've got this mindless clone that's been uh, maybe boosted in powers, but also just kind of telling a story with Lex. That Lex is getting more and more desperate to try to to keep up with Superman and discredit him. And that's you know. It, I get what he was trying to do because they were probably trying to cook up an idea for Bizarro. Like, how do we update Bizarro mm-hmm. since we've updated Superman? And the first idea was, oh, we'll make him kind of a Frankenstein's monster kind of deal. And that that probably worked uh, to a degree. But I think even Byrne realized, uh, this isn't going to be a, a long-standing thing. I can't make this work forever. I'm going to need to come up with another idea or at least try to cook something else up. So that version of Bizarro is dispatched uh, yeah. pretty quickly. But he cures Lucy Lane's uh, blindness. Lucy Lane. Let's talk about the problematic little sister of Lois. Yikes. Shall we? Yes. <laughs> uh, Lucy, I, I don't even... Did they fully explain how she got stricken blind? I don't think so. I think it was just kind of a, a trope. <laughs> For that character, and of course, we always associate her with Jimmy Olsen, who we barely see, if at all. Yeah, we do see her, he, see Jimmy just a little bit he in, the, in the uh, bullpen. One very minor scene there, and before we yeah. get into into Lucy Lane, I do want to address how John Byrne writes Lois. I love how he writes her. Oh, fantastic! I yeah. think that this is one of the most brilliant versions of Lois Lane that's ever been. He gets how to make her. Uh, into equal parts like badass uh, investigative reporter don't take no shit off anybody uh, especially not some billionaire like Lex Luthor but at the same time the way he draws her is also like making her sexy without making it um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, gratuitous yeah like that's it's not that it's not what we would see a lot of female characters drawn as in the 90s but Burn ha- like skates that line, and I feel like he skates it almost perfectly. Um, you believe that she is the best there is at what she does. Absolutely, you know? but you don't question he, that for a second. No, no, she, he's really written compellingly as, and convincingly as the best reporter, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Lois Lane. And she is so much fun to read. Like I would read if John Byrne had written a Lois Lane series to tie into this, I mm-hmm. would have absolutely been reading that too. Uh, it, it would have been uh, one of the best comics on the shelves at the time. Uh, no doubt in my mind about that. And then we get to uh, Lois's oh, sister, yeah, Lucy. <laughs> Lu- Lucy, who is uh, stricken blind off panel for by something or another. We don't really know right. what. It's just in the middle of the story. She's yeah. blind. She's she's moping around and super sad. Uh, and Lois is kind of doing the whole, you know, buck up, kiddo. It's not going to be, it's not so bad. This Things won't always be this way. And and you got me. I'm going to be right here with you the whole time. I'm going to take care of you. And uh, Lucy 
kind of says, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it, it is going to be okay. I'm glad I have you. Now go to work. You bother me. <laughs> um, and as soon as Lois is gone, uh, Lucy is, uh, is going to attempt suicide. Um, but she is miraculously saved by this Franken-Superman, uh, right. the Bizarro clone. But she can't see him, so she thinks she's just been saved by the real Superman. Uh, when Superman, when the real Superman actually catches up with them a little bit later, uh, the big fight ensues. Uh, they take to the air and fight uh, above everybody. Uh, this Bizarro winds up being... Uh, but destroyed like he just burst into dust and that dust falls down onto Lucy's eyes and mas- just magically cures her blindness she can see right. perf- she can see perfectly it's and perhaps that's crumbs for a later storyline i'm not too familiar with the the first couple years of the uh burn superman <clears throat> excuse me superman title nor the marv wolfman penned adventures of superman title but it sure uh, seems weird to do it and then drop it and not explain, explain it, really. I do know that uh, Adventures of Superman under Marv Wolfman actually didn't really... Uh, it was Marv Wolfman and Jerry Ordway. Uh, right. And uh, the, there were three titles running at the time, Superman, Action, and Adventures. And in the right. first year... Action was a team-up that kind of replaced uh, DC Comics Presents. Yeah, and in, that, in the first year of... Uh, all three of those titles working in this continuity, they didn't really tie in. They were loosely connected okay. with one another, but they didn't really tie together at all. You could right. you could just read Superman and get burnt, get the main event story that continued on from this. And you know what's weird though is that John Byrne only wrote twenty two issues of that. I I do remember. Yeah, he did. I bought the first few. You know, I had the prankster issue and the Joker issue. And I just and the Lex figures out his secret identity. But then thinks, thinks it's way too illogical. Why would anybody who has the power of Superman hide it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but he really develops Lex even further. I mean, you get to see Lex be an absolute bastard in those first couple of, couple of years of the Superman book. He's, he's so, He really kind of, like, steals the show a lot of times. Oh, yeah. Uh, like the, It kind of becomes like the, the Lex Luthor show. Uh, but that's just because Byrne was having so much, obviously having so much fun writing. Mm-hmm. And... That's another reason I think that this book, especially Man of Steel, and then the subsequent Superman series that followed it, uh, works so well is because John Byrne is clearly just having a ball doing his thing. Even though uh, this his Superman series, while it is great and I think that it is remembered well by most folks, it's also incredibly controversial, uh, as a lot of modern day Superman things tend to be. But uh, there, especially when you get to that final issue of Burns Run, issue twenty-two in particular, rubbed yeah. a lot of people the wrong way. Uh, and you know, you well, and then he was gone. But you know, I, I will say they they did a lot of good stuff with the aftermath of that particular story. Oh, absolutely, because um, then you the know, Dan, and they, they put him through the ringer after that. Then the Dan Jurgens era begins. Yeah. And that era of Superman is iconic in its own right. Right. The, the tightest continuity there could be. You know, where at one point we had four weekly comic books. Or, you know, each, you, every week you had a new Superman book that tied into the, the other. Uh, the editor 
Mike Carlin had everything working as a finely honed machine. He had great supporting casts, consistent art. Every every title was great, and boy, it was it was probably the state of the art for comics, say nineteen ninety two, ninety three. Yeah, like if you were on the Superman books at that time. Wow, what a yeah. what a treasure trove of awesome you were getting! And we thought the triangle era. What do we, yeah. was that? What it is the triangles of the yeah. on the cover? Uh, yeah. yeah, it helped you. Know, huge help in keeping them all straight. Uh, and but not to say that John Byrne only wrote like twenty two issues of Superman. He had Action Comics Weekly going right. for a while, so he wrote a ton of Superman stories. That even though in that first year they didn't necessarily tie together, in the subsequent year they did. So you started right. getting more of those Superman stories coming together. Uh, but uh, one other thing before we get to uh, a new feature that we're going to add to the to this show uh, as a, uh, a regular thing is we got to talk about uh, Superman meets Batman. Yeah, issue three. Well, you know, there there hasn't been a whole lot of John Byrne on Batman, so just visually alone, it's a big treat. But they they kind of deconstruct the world's finest pair here they are basically i won't say they're allies they're or rivals or anything they're they're kind of antagonists for a while yeah uh superman just shows up in gotham uh and is going to arrest batman for vigilantism right and this uh, and is early in batman's career you know it's yeah it's probably when year we talk two. about this taking place uh, over 10 years this is like year seven yeah, uh, I would say that he's probably been Batman for like two years, maybe. Uh, no yellow circle, no Robin. Yeah, uh, no sidekick, anything like that. And uh, and Byrne does something a little edgy with Batman right there at the start uh, when he confront or when Superman's confronting him. Batman's like, "Well, you can take me in, but the thing is." I've planted a bomb somewhere in Gotham that's going to put an innocent life in danger. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I can just have the trigger for it right here. So if you don't want that bomb to suddenly go off, you're going to help me. Uh, which is pretty diabolical, honestly. Yeah. It, it, it seems, that doesn't sound like the Batman I know. Yeah, it seems very out of character for Batman. And what's it gets weirder. Because then Batman asks for Superman's help in taking down a uh, a pretty prolific thief in Gotham who goes by the name Magpie. Magpie, as in the bird. Uh, only seen twice, really. If yeah, I think she she was in that uh, a Batman issue that happened right after Batman Year One, if I recall correctly. Not chronologically, just in the story, you know. So to to capitalize on our appearance here, but this is the. I don't know if they're Burns just saying, "Okay, let's." I'm going to create a Batman villain, and she's going to be great. <laughs> what's What's her gimmick? She likes to steal shiny things because well, she, because yeah. as a kid she was overly exposed to shiny things, and this was we, a, we all know girls like this that uh, crave the shiny. Yeah, that's that's the theory we're working from here in the uh, the Burn Bible. Uh, if you will, and uh, yeah, if you're asking, um, if you're asking he, yourself why does Batman need Superman's help with this, you're not alone, uh, because I was asking myself that same question. <laughs> As yeah, this is problematic, Russell. It it is. Um, <laughs> lots lots of little problematic things here, not the least of which Magpie's super angular costume. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not Burns' best work. 
No, um, great mohawk, kind uh, of like a. What do, what do you? How do we describe her mohawk here? Three, three pronged mohawk. Um, and her real name, of course, is Margaret Pie. Yep, yep. That's that is that is a thing. That is for real. Joe Kerr. Remember Joseph Joe Kerr? <laughs> Joseph Kerr. <laughs> that, oh my that's my painting. <laughs> oh, it's got it's terrible. Uh, but anyway, the that's not the star point of the show. That that's just uh you know the the plot device to get our two heroes to uh, to work together. And of course they go through this whole thing about how uh Batman doesn't want to hurt her. He doesn't want to hurt Magpie. He just wants to to stop her from stealing anything else or from hurting people and to get her the help she needs. And that's starting to sound a little more uh, altruistic there, Batman. You don't seem like the kind of guy who would put a bomb in a city just to get your way. Right. Uh, well, the thing is, he wasn't lying. And he wasn't. That's the most amazing part of it uh, is we get to – the end, and of course, as you may have been able to guess, Superman easily stops this whole business, and you wonder who really needed whose help here. Like, did right. any, did anybody need any help taking down Magpie? No, Superman did. Could have done this on his own. Batman could have too, as it well, you know, really turns out, it just would have taken a little longer. But at the end of it, uh, Superman is like so. About or Batman or yeah, I think it was Superman says so about that bomb that you planted. Where it at? Right. And he was like, "Oh, that's I'm glad you brought that up." And Batman reaches back in his utility belt and pulls the bomb out and says, "Oh, it's been here on me the entire time." Uh, and Superman seems kind of confused by this. And he's like, "Well, I figured that given your power set, you would have been able to tell if I was lying about planting a bomb somewhere. So I had to make that a real thing. And when I said it would endanger an innocent life." I was just talking about myself. Yeah. Uh, you got to say, Burn, that's pretty clever, man. Uh, it was. It, it was a nice. It was a nice little bit uh, that showed that Batman was, in fact, still very much the Batman that you've come to know and love. Uh, just, just a little more of a, a sneer in his voice. But what I did like was that as we reached this conclusion point, Superman's like, I guess he's okay. I'm not gonna bust him. I'm not gonna <laughs> take him out of Gotham. I guess you're right. And uh, as he's flying away, he's like, you know, that man is very driven. He's he's gonna he's going places. That kid's got something. And uh, Batman is like, you know what? He's every bit as magnificent as everybody says he is. There's a little bit of a crushing going on here. A little bit of a, yeah. bro, a bro crush going on uh, between these two already. Uh, and you but know, yeah, the, the purpose is to just kind of deconstruct their relationship, have them starting over from. From ground zero and and show the difference between them and and it it works it does but that's all this issue is right that that's the old, that was really the only thing if if this issue had taken place maybe a couple years later uh, or been created a couple years later you would have seen more rundown Gotham City for sure oh definitely uh, I feel As like it was, this was I didn't know that we were in Gotham for a while yeah Burn doesn't really draw cityscapes in a very distinct way at first. Uh, So you're right. It's hard to tell the difference between Gotham and Metropolis or any city, really. He kind of draws them all Mm -hmm. very similarly to each other, but that's okay. Frank Miller's going to be up to Uh, that next, and and he's he's going to make Gotham a character. Uh, But, but yeah, I thought this was a really good 
uh, way to introduce these two characters. And that I think that was the overall point of it because up to now, it's really just been a story all about Clark and about uh, his development into Superman, but we don't really see any other characters, any other like major DC characters appearing. So this was Byrne's way of kind of opening up that universe and saying, no, my guy is part of this universe. And yep. uh, this is going to be but, my way of letting you know that. But not... You know, we're not talking Justice League or anything like no. that. I mean, we talked about last time that Justice League has a whole new origin that's been retconned post-crisis. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, not part of the original Justice League team. Yeah, there's a, that's a whole thing, and that story would actually be told some sometime later. Uh, yeah. uh, Mark Wade would get into that with JLA yeah. Year One, uh, which uh, doesn't come out. I, I don't think that was in the 80s. I think that was... Uh, wasn't that no, in, that's uh, 90s or yeah. mid-late mid, 90s. Yeah, mid-late yeah. 90s, whenever they finally really tell that story. Uh, it's alluded to... There is to, a Secret Origins that did the re- retcon uh, yeah. lady. So, so it was just a one-and-done, kind of just like fixing. There's a lot of that. Um, well, we've eliminated this character from the history, so let's create this situation or explain that it was really black canary uh they did that with the legion too because who who inspired the legion of superheroes superboy so they had a lot of damage control in the legion book to explain well how how could superboy inspire the legion's creation when there is no superboy so and boy a lot a lot went into that that's three whole podcasts right there uh legion of substitute podcasters do a great series on that if you are interested in the legion of superheroes check out their pod um because legion is a whole thing <laughs> it's, it's a whole whole deal you know and I, I have very little knowledge of legion other than the little bits of it i've read here and there uh mostly from uh from jeff johns and uh more mm-hmm. recently from brian bendis um and little touches here i i believe it's daunting man yeah it it, it is <laughs> You want to talk about a convoluted history to get into? It's Legion <laughs> of Superheroes. If you think X Men is a challenge, you you ain't seen nothing. Like try try to find an entry point into Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, good luck. It's tough. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, so many different retcons and reboots that uh, which continuity do you even start with? You know, it's um, at this point. Uh, what continuity? Just yeah, <laughs> just, just now, I'd say just mm. go, go into the Bendis book, which just got canceled. Or just yeah. wrapped up issue twelve. Uh, yeah, is it done? Is that over? I think I, I don't know what's happening after this future shock future state thing. Yeah, um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I thought it might be continuing, but uh, but I we'll hope see. so. Uh, it's we'll been see. Pretty- uh, yeah, the issues of it I've read, I've actually really enjoyed. I thought, wow, I could actually get into some Legion if it's written like this. Um, but. There, there's plenty of other Legion that I should probably read, like Great Darkness Saga, which is considered one mm-hmm. of the. Uh, all- I think that's that's probably your best bet to just get in. And Hard Traveling Fanboys did a really good show on that a couple of years back. Uh, of of just and and they are from that perspective. Well, I don't know much about the Legion, so let's just jump in and see what we can do. See how well we can keep up. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, talking oh. about Superman's coming up in the '80s and being treated like a brand new character. There were a lot of uh, reconstruction projects that had to happen, but uh, wrapping up Man of Steel, he comes back to Metropolis, or sorry, back to Smallville and visits Ma and Pa, and you you can tell he does this a lot. I I always appreciated that aspect of um, this book that he had that just security blanket where he could go and be really himself, not not Clark or not Superman, but but his his own being, who is kind of 
a little different than either the the faces he puts on as either of those characters. Absolutely. Uh, that's that's my favorite aspect of the character is that they really emphasize that he is not the cape. He is not the glasses. Nope. He is Clark Kent. That is who the person is. Like you take away the two masks that he wears and you get to the real guy. And John Byrne spends a lot of time really building that up and does a masterful job of it. Thanks to having the Kents be alive again, right. because it gives Clark a sounding board. And that's something that he really desperately needed in the decades prior to this. But coming to the end of this, we're going to introduce this, uh, this new concept that we told you about just a little while ago, uh, where we're going to talk about two different points of these books, uh, these stories uh, that we're uh, going back over for, uh, for this little crisis intervention. Uh, they're going to be kind of sort of awards, if you will, at least one of them is. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, one moment that uh, was really good and one moment that we consider to be pretty bad. Uh, and the uh, the good moment we're going to be referring to as a crisis averted moment where we pick out the thing that we say this really worked. This really helped to further the character coming out of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And then the other is the intervention point where we uh, we say maybe somebody should have had a talk with whoever was <laughs> doing this just a little bit longer to say, is this really the direction we want to go? So um, I guess I will start with my uh, – let's, let's give them the good news first, the, uh, the crisis averted moment. Uh, and I would say for me that the, the crisis averted moment for Man of Steel was focusing on Clark Kent as a person rather than the powers. That that is the key to success for Man of Steel and why it works so well and why it continues to work so well and age so, uh, so wonderfully as a template for how to write Superman. Um, because it, it, really shows you that character has to come first and that while the superpowers are cool and all, it doesn't really matter if your character is bland or doesn't have something interesting to say. And John Byrne found something interesting for Superman to say. So that's, that would be my crisis averted moment that they, they kept themselves from repeating the mistake of the past. So, okay, my turn. I'm going to say, you know, there were a lot of great things that this series did uh, for Superman, kind of stripped him down to his bare concepts and gave, gave explanations for certain things, got rid of some muddy continuity, just have you just have the focus here on on him. I'm going to say the biggest thing I think is for him emphasizing that he was born on Earth. You yeah. know, he was for all intents and purposes in a womb, a space womb, until he got here. His, his skin didn't touch the air. You know, his genetics are from Krypton. His powers come from Krypton, but, like, Byrne wraps it up in this very, very, very long monologue, thought, thought bubble monologue, on the last three pages of the series. Um, none of that matters. It's Krypton that made me Superman, but it's the Earth that makes me human. And then we're really talking about his humanity, or at least his psychological humanity that gives us the reason to relate to him and uh, 
support him and and read these more interesting versions of Superman than you know the the Superman who would uh, I'm trying to think of something ridiculously Superman that would fly through the sun. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yes, uh, all of that is really good, and it was also uh, Burns' way of uh, reestablishing the idea of truth, justice, and the American way by making Clark uh, an American citizen because he's technically born in Kansas. Right. Uh, right. So he's uh, he's an American citizen by birth, uh, by this technicality, and I think that was something that Byrne was uh, really adamant about. Now, I, personally, I really like the idea of Clark you know, being a, a metaphor for the immigrant story, which is something that would come back later. Uh, but this was, I get where Byrne was coming from and why he was trying to do this. Uh, well, it was Ronald Reagan's America, my friend. It was. It was, <laughs> it was very much the, the, Reagan, the Reagan era was in full swing. Uh, it was actually about to come to an end uh, because H.W. Uh, Bush would be elected in 88. But uh, my intervention point where somebody should have stepped in and said, John, eh, let's rethink this, uh, is... Burns' portrayal of mental illness. Uh, specifically, we talked about Magpie. We talked about Lucy Lane. And I get that Byrne was trying to emphasize that things are a lot more complicated than just good guy, punchy bad guy. That's that's not the kind of comics that Byrne wanted to tell. And if you've read any of uh, the, the work he did on uh, Uncanny X-Men with Chris, uh, Chris Claremont or his, uh, I believe it was uh, a Wolverine uh, story that, uh, that Byrne wrote and drew, uh, you know that that's just not who he is. He, he wants to be more complex with, with these ideas. Unfortunately, he doesn't give himself enough space to really explore those ideas and the whole magpie situation really comes off as kind of sexist and at the same time uh, 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 a bit heavy handed and kind of stupid. So that's, that's my assessment of the magpie situation. And then of course the Lucy Lane situation is super dark and very complicated because this, this girl was about to, uh, to kill herself after like just two seconds earlier saying, Oh no, I'm totally good. Everything's cool. Uh, I get where you're coming from Lois. I'll see you when you get home. And that's, it, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a mess there. And okay. uh, uh, a little, a little hard, I think to, to really get into the, the, the mental processes of these, uh, of these characters. So, okay. Well, I agree with all that, honestly. I mean, the magpie thing, like I said, problematic, two dimensional, yeah. uh, written very quickly and not, not, unfortunately there's just not a lot of depth there. And it, it's very cliched how frail and, and, uh, non-sympathetic she is and what they, they did with what he did with her, her personality. However, I'm going to go in a different direction as far as my intervention point. Uh, we, there are lots of things we didn't touch upon that were amazing, uh, updates and one of those was Krypton. I mean, really believe that Krypton is very futuristic, especially compared to, say, earlier versions of this uh, origin telling where, where Jor-El's just a dude in a, a green suit and a headband that looks like Superman. Um, the, you, you get, okay, they're space people, but they don't really seem futuristic. This has taken another degree with very, very uh, out there 
visions of things. Uh, the the robes that Jarrell's wearing, how they used a lot of this tech for years and years with Superman, with the matrices and the the uh, ships and the robots, and used this look in the Fortress of Solitude. So there was a good continuity of that. But the Kryptonians have they've changed so much they probably don't have fingernails and they definitely don't have eyebrows anymore nope. right so <laughs> it's weird so we notice that but but there's definitely this beautiful futuristic vision that's very very easy to okay i see what he's doing this is a very alien culture uh, my my intervention point though is because it's so over the top and ridiculous is where uh, lara overreacts to seeing a shirtless Kansas farm farm man where it basically <laughs> gives her a heart attack uh, and she she's terrified that that's what we're going to send their <clears throat> their infant to and it, it's just hilarious you know she, she's he bears never... his naked flesh his hairy flesh bears it to the air he touches unprocessed soil it's just it, it seems very over dramatic and funny um, and yeah. so that that's my point it's kind of kind of amusing to me I, I get what he's trying to say. It just seems a little over the top. It's it's one of those things that even in the eighties, you're like, come on, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, has she never seen a? Well, actually, she may never have seen it. Yeah, maybe a, a not. Shirt, I mean, that's what you before. say about that. Uh, but because uh, <laughs> I mean, their babies are born in. Uh, right. And tubes, wait, we don't know if they even ever t- actually touch each other <laughs> on Krypton. Uh, boy, if they knew how our mating rituals work. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, but, but they, I always thought that was pretty hilarious, even as a 14 year old kid when this came out to me. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good one. That Burn didn't, as well as Burn wrote Lois Lane and, uh, you know, so many other characters within these books. Sometimes he he still showed his hand as like not really knowing how to write female characters all that well. Uh, all yeah. right, so I still recommend this series. Uh, again, the the first quote unquote modern Superman, even though modern times have changed quite a bit in the thirty five years since thirty yeah thirty five years going on. Good lord, we old. Well, we, we old. Uh, so, no, we old. <laughs> it's we. This is still still a fairly co- contemporary read. Um, it's a great starting point if you want to get into the classic stories of Superman. It's tough to maybe find anything besides the uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrow or for the man who knows everything. The, the Alan Moore stories. It's tough to find some other uh, pre-crisis books that are enjoyable. This sets the post-crisis Superman off on the right foot. I enjoy it quite a bit, and uh, the designs like, defined the era for Superman, yeah. and the characterizations, for the most part, were pretty consistent. Although, you know, I think they they burnt through this version of Luthor really fairly quickly, if I recall correctly. Yeah, you know, he, where they he faked his death and um, brought back the young clone of Luthor, and it got messy. It's but the, uh, the the foundation was there for a really good. They think they tried to make him change with the times, maybe. Uh, yeah, there's some weird decisions that come in down the road, but uh, it gets a little soap opera y uh, yeah. at that. But still, overall, uh, and even in those stories when it's getting weird and soap opera y, it's still very compelling and still winds up being really, uh, really good comic storytelling with uh, continued tremendous artwork. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're going to be hard pressed to find. Uh, better looking Superman stories than these. So 
got to give this one like one of the, one of the absolute highest recommendations because it does actually hold up so well. And there's a, a template here for uh, a modern Superman film. Wonder what that uh, Batman v Superman movie might have been like if somebody would have <laughs> just read that third issue of this book. It might have turned out a lot better. You know, the this whole thing is. Uh, even though it is covering a lot of time in just six issues, it does it really well. Uh, not, not a lot to complain about, like condensing so much time into such a small space where a lot of times that doesn't work. John Byrne really, like, he mostly manages his time well, and you, he gets you where you need to go so that you can jump into the new Superman ongoing and just run with it you'll have a very firm idea of who this superman is where he comes from and uh what his his deal is his overall uh purpose in life for four dollars and fifty cents cover price my goodness 75 cents per issue my gosh good lord (laughs) uh but boy we're really being priced out of comics aren't we yeah uh yeah yeah that that's the future generations problem uh you can read all of this all of john burns uh run on the dc universe infinite app uh which is how i reread all of man of steel uh i have the trades of john burns entire run but i was like you know what i don't want to pull those out i just want to pull this up on my tablet uh and read and it was a great time doing so i can't wait to Kind of get back and just like I've been doing with the uh, the Perez Wonder Woman, I've continued reading that, and I'm going to continue reading uh, Burn Superman so that I can uh, just re-experience the the kind of magic that was happening at the time. Uh, and speaking of magic, we got to uh, to pick out what we're going to do next, and uh, I think it's time for the big one. Uh, ah. I, think, I, I know where you're going here. I, I think I think it's time for the big one. Uh, the one that everybody is probably most familiar with, but it's it's time to take a look at the post-crisis Batman. It is time to take a look into uh, Frank Miller's uh, seminal Batman Year One, uh, which is not as long a story as people think it is. I think it's only no. like three issues. Uh, it's for, or it's four for issues. David, David Mazzuchelli on art. Uh, boy, I can't wait to get into that one again. Uh, that's going to be a fun one to read. Uh, Got to get back into that one. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of people are very familiar with that, or you're definitely familiar with elements of it because you've seen it on screen in the not-too-distant past. Uh, so with that, that's where we're going to be headed uh, in the next DC post-crisis, the post-crisis intervention episode. So stay tuned for that right here on the Little Lol Podcast Network. And while you're at it, head on over to the Twitter machine, uh, give us both a follow, and uh, tell us what you think of John Burns' Man of Steel. Uh, maybe you're a first time through it, or maybe you're a, a long-time fan. Tell us what you thought of it. Uh, you can at me at Russell underscore Sellers. Todd, where are they finding you? Uh, Todd Weber Guitar, at... Todd Weber Guitar on Twitter. Yeah. You can follow Lillo Podcasts as well. Yes, at Lillo Podcast. That's yes. L-I-L-L-O Podcast. So, for Russell Sellers, for Ma and Pa Kent, for Lana Lang, for Lex Luthor, for DC Jimmy Olsen, I'm Todd Weber, uh, and DC for you, I will see you next time. 
So goodbye, Russell. Bye, Russell.